listen, as I was coming up this morning, actually I was already here, and people are coming up, and I'm yelling and talking to people, actually in my normal voice, but um, people are coming up and saying, we heard you in the parking lot, and I said, yeah? So? I mean, Bart's been preaching on the Sermon of the Mount. Have you just actually thought about that? Okay, there were between 15 and 20,000 people that Jesus was speaking to. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus was loud too, all right? So uh, just pardon me. I'm just trying to be like Jesus. That's what I'm trying to do. But listen, we are, we are so excited to be a part of this today with Palooza. By the way, on my sabbatical, I am a people person. I know that shocks you. And by the way, first row, you are officially, you're in the spit zone, okay? Just so you know. Um, but I, I get excited when I'm around people. I actually gain energy when I'm around people. When I'm around this many people, I gain lots and lots of energy. But I was missing that during my sabbatical. So I had to do something else, and here's what I did. All right? This is like... This is like the best job for me ever is the Walmart greeter, okay? And so uh, to the glory of God, I wanted to welcome people into Wally World. But hey, I am so glad that I can be back and be doing kingdom work instead of Wally World work, okay? So thank you for allowing that. That picture is not real, okay, just so you know. I don't want my integrity to be called into question, um, Will Welch photoshopped that and did a pretty darn good job, I would just say. But I love people. And so getting back, I'm so excited to be back with you. But I want to quickly bring a message to you because our goal today is to get you out very early. I know you don't believe me, but it's true. We're going to get you out very early because we want to give you opportunity as Palooza is to go out and find out different opportunities in our community and in our church where you can use your gifts and abilities. And we're going to talk about that some today. So we're going to get you out early so you have time to actually go and mill around and uh, check some things out today. But I want to take you quickly to Acts chapter 17, verse 6. So go in your Bibles or on your phone or look up here on the screen. And I want to give you just a little context for this. Paul is writing, or Paul is actually at a place called Thessalonica. Now, he writes two letters to the church there that he uh, later starts and is a part of, and those, those are the first and second Thessalonians, okay? But it's a place called Thessalonica. So he goes there. So what Paul normally does is because he often will gather where his people are gathered, and he is both a Roman and a Jew, so he's a little bit of a hybrid here. But he always goes into the synagogue first, which is where Jews would be. And he teaches in the synagogue like a rabbi. People would ask questions. They would, in, they would interact with Paul. But Paul at Thessalonica not only did that, but he went out into the marketplace and he talked to other Greeks and other Gentiles that were in the marketplace as well. And here's what happened. People came to know Jesus Christ. Amen? And he got to celebrate exactly what we celebrated last Sunday as we had children, we had teenagers, we had moms and dads who all had followed the Lord uh, in salvation and were baptized last week to demonstrate that to the body of Christ. So the same thing that's happening here was happening at this place called Thessalonica. And here's what happened. The Jews kind of got a mob of people together, which was the way that they would often operate. And they would get Jews and Greeks and others, and they kind of formed this mob because they didn't like what was happening. Why did they not like it? They loved the status quo. 
They wanted things to be just like they were. They did not like change. And they certainly didn't like other people getting attention for spiritual fervor, which was kind of their realm and their world. And they didn't like the fact that other people were getting attention for, be, attention for being spiritual. So here's what they did. They created a mob to try to get the attention back on themselves and to get it away from Paul and what God was doing through this group of Paul and Silas and the team that was working with them. And we come to Acts 17, verse 6. And this is what the Jews said about Paul and his group. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Now you need to understand that that was not something they were saying to them because they liked them. The idea that they were turning the world upside down was they are turning everything that we know in our culture on its head. But when we read that, we say, yes, yes, that's exactly what we are supposed to be doing and what we're supposed to be known as. Amen? By the way, amen is agreement. And we will go very much quicker. We will go more quickly if you will say amen when I say amen. amen. All right. I like you want to go fast. All right. I like going fast. All right. So these Jews are the ones who's saying this. That Paul and Silas are not saying this about themselves. So the idea is they're turning the world upside down. And my question, one fairly singular question to all of us today is, is that our reputation? Are we known in our community as wanting to keep things status quo? Don't rock the boat. You see, when Jesus came to this earth, he set up a new kingdom. Matter of fact, what he said was that when Jesus was here, the kingdom of God is here. And here's what he meant by that. I'm here representing the kingdom of God. And as long as I'm here on this earth, the kingdom of God is here. But wait a minute. What do we do with that theologically? Jesus went to the cross. He died. He rose again from the dead. But then he ascended to the Father. So Jesus left the earth. So the kingdom of God must not be here anymore. Is that right? Thank you. No. I'm going to ask that once again. Is that right? No, that is not correct. Why? Because the incarnation of Jesus Christ, his presence on this earth, continues. Where is he living? He's living in us. So the presence of Jesus is still on this earth, but he is living in each one of us. And the role that we are to play is to turn this world upside down. But it doesn't mean we mob. It doesn't mean we're doing picket lines. It doesn't even necessarily mean that we're trying to get involved in the political action uh, structure of the world to make this happen. It means that we are radically to do what Jesus did. And that's what we're going to look at today. Jesus turned this world upside down. We have a, a, a kind of a snapshot, a picture, if you would, um, or if you will, of, of what this looked like in the lives of the disciples. Luke chapter 9 is going to be our main text today. Just three verses, 46, 47, and 48. And I've got two points to share with you today. I could have done three and a poem to finish, but we're only, only going with two. And here's what it says. Then his disciples began arguing about which one of them was the greatest. Can you hear Muhammad Ali? I am the greatest. All right, that's what Muhammad Ali, some of you guys don't even know who Muhammad Ali is. Go, go figure it out. He was a pretty good boxer, okay? But he said he was the greatest, and the disciples are having this discussion. Now, this is a very humorous picture. 
And so often we don't see humor in Scripture. But I got to tell you, I see a lot of humor in Scripture, especially in the words with Jesus, especially as he is dealing with the disciples. I see Jesus rolling his eyes a lot throughout the Gospels. And here he's doing that. But Jesus knew their thoughts. And by the way, he knows your thoughts as well. Jesus knew their thoughts. He understood what was happening behind them. So he brought up a little child to his side and he said to them, anyone who welcomes me or who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me also welcomes my father who sent me. Whoever is least among you is the greatest. And Jesus flips the tables on this new kingdom that this kingdom is not like the old kingdom. And we walk every day. We head out of these doors into the kingdom of this world. We go into our neighborhoods and into our schools. We go into our workplaces. And the kingdom that's there, the kingdom of this world, continually tries to press us into its mold. But Jesus said, I came to establish a new kingdom. And so we're going to look at that kingdom today. The first thing we see is we see a new kingdom structure. A new kingdom structure comes on the scene with Jesus. He said, and then his disciples began arguing about which of them was the greatest. I want you to think about what this actually looked like. Sometimes we have to think about what was actually happening here. You have 12 men who are all jockeying for position as the buddy of Jesus. This, if you would, is the disciples or Jesus' ring of honor. They want their name displayed right up there with Jesus. We'll be a little lower than Jesus, but the fact that we're on the same ring of honor is what we're after. We want to be the greatest. Can you imagine, especially as this story continues forward from what just happened, what was called the Mount of Transfiguration. And there were only three disciples up on the mount with Jesus. They were Peter, James, and John. And what happened on the Mountain of Transfiguration? Literally, Moses and Elijah show up in order to have a discussion with Jesus. Now, I would love to know what they were talking about. But we don't have what they were talking about. But what we do have recorded is Peter. Peter says, I'd love to build structures so that, Jesus, you can talk with Moses and Elijah. And don't you know Moses said, dude, why do I need a structure? If it starts to rain, I just go, boom! And it parts right over the three of us, all right? I'm sure that's what Moses would have said. And so now, as Moses and Elijah and Jesus are on the mount, here's what Peter says. To the other nine disciples, dude, I am the greatest. I was up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. Moses, by the way, Moses, these are Jews. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible called the Torah. There was nobody in a Jew's world. I spit on myself. I'm sorry. I hate it when I do that. As I get older, it happens more and more. No comments about that, but Moses was the dude to Jews, all right? So Peter says, I'm the greatest. I said, and and not only was I doing that, but you guys realize that when the storm happened, I stepped out on the water with Jesus. I am clearly the greatest. Can you imagine what the other nine disciples were likely saying? Dude, you are always running your mouth. And Jesus is going to get on you about that. And you're running your mouth that you're always the greatest. Can you hear his brother, Andrew, go, 
you guys have no idea. You should have had to grow up with this fool, man. I'm telling you, it was like this all the time when we were growing up. So what you've got to see in this is there was some serious posturing going on among the disciples about this. Now let me bring it on down to where we live. Remember when you were a kid and you were in the back seat going on a road trip with your parents in the front seat and you and your brother and sister, or there's three in my family, we were in the back seat and I was like, my older brother Dennis, I'm the youngest of three, the baby of the family. That shocks you, I know. All right, here I am and I tell my brother, all right, you quit, quit doing this. You're on my side, you're on my side. We make the, you make the line in the seat. I'm seeing some shaking of the heads. You guys know what I'm talking about. And then I'm going, Mom, Mom, Dennis put his finger on my side. He put his finger on my side. Make him stop. Now he's looking at me. Quit making him. Stop him looking at me. So my brother and I, he was six years older than me. He was a football player. So when he was a senior, you know, being 17, I was 11. I idolized my brother until we got into situations just like this. He and I lived, we, we Stayed in the same room. We had both had twin beds in this room. My brother is a mechanical engineer. He's always been smarter than me. He is still a whole lot smarter than me to this day. Matter of fact, being an engineer, he said, Randy, I know how to push your buttons. I installed them. <laughs> right? So my brother had this, we had this incident. I, since I was so much younger, I had a curfew of when I could watch TV and when I couldn't. And it was much different than his. We had a little small, I mean small, okay. You guys need to understand, any teenagers in the room, the TVs were like the size of an iPad, okay. It's okay, breathe. It, it actually, it, it, was, it was really like that. And this was a black and white TV. And I really can't even remember us watching the TV that much. But on one particular occasion, it, we did. And it was past my curfew to be able to watch the TV. So my brother got a brilliant idea. Now, my bed was further away from the TV than his. He said, turn your back to the TV and don't watch it. That was his solution. And I totally did it. All right? So... We have these sibling rivalries, but we have rivalries in this world. Somebody's retiring um, in, in your, at your job place. We start jockeying for position of how we might be recognized or be that person. Somebody at school is more popular than we are. So we manufacture a, a, uh, out of social media something that might get their, either get their attention or kind of obscure their reputation so that we get lifted higher. We're in a, our neighborhoods and maybe somebody's moving and they hadn't been a great neighbor and we're manipulating trying to find somebody that we know to buy that house so that we don't have to deal with uncomfortable neighbors. Folks, that's operating in an old kingdom mindset. That's not what Jesus has called us to. He's called us to this new kingdom structure. As we look at that today, as we think about what's actually taking place we claw and scrape and try to do everything we can to be recognized in our own world. And there was a writer of the New Testament. His name was James. He was actually the half-brother of Jesus. Can you, can you just imagine what that had to be like? James, the half-brother of Jesus, and Mary would say, James, Jesus never talked to us like that. <laughs> and James is going, dude, it's like that guy's perfect or something. I don't understand <laughs> having to follow him. And James didn't follow Jesus immediately. 
But after Jesus' death and resurrection, he became one of the most devout followers of his half-brother. And he writes this in James chapter 4. I want you to listen. I want you to think about if you see this, see yourself in this passage. James 4 verses 1 and 2 says this. What's causing quarrels and fights among you? Don't they, aren't they the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have. What do we want? Typically what we don't have. You know, that is the understanding of contentment, being thankful for what God has given you. But we want what we don't have, whatever that may be. Rockefeller said it was just the land that joins me. That's all I want. Think about that. That means everything. He wanted everything. You don't have what you, what you, you want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are, and this is key, remember what the Jews felt? You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and you wage war in order to take it away from them. Sadly enough, 36 years of ministry, I've seen this in the church as well. You know, when pastors get together, it's the same thing that's in all of your worlds as well. It's comparison. How big is your church? We go through the ABCs. What's your attendance? How many buildings do you have? And what's your budget or how much cash? Attendance, buildings, cash. And pastors will compare themselves and their churches. That's not what the kingdom of God is like and is not what it's supposed to be about. Amen? We've got to have a different metric system. We've got to choose that we're going to gauge things differently. What if our metrics, instead of attendance, buildings, and cash, what if it were how many people look more like Jesus today than look like him yesterday? What if it was something like this? If this church was gone from this community tomorrow, would the community realize we were gone? Now, there may be other metrics that are better even than these, but it happens in the church as well. It happens in ministries as well. People wanting to jockey for position and and clamor for a particular idea that their idea would be seen. We are the church, the body of Christ, and our structure has to be different in this new kingdom. The structure of the new kingdom are these two things. It's humility and it's dying to ourselves. How do I know this? That is exactly what Jesus did. Philippians chapter 2 says, don't be selfish, Paul writes to the Philippian church. Don't try to impress others, but be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interest, but take an interest in what others, in, in others too. You and I must have the same attitude as Christ Jesus that he had. Though he was God, And could have done anything that he wanted to. He could have destroyed humanity once again just like the flood and started over. But have the same attitude that Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up. He literally died to himself. He literally died physically for you and I. He gave up his divine privileges and he took on the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he, once again, what does it say? He he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Let me take this humble step with you today. Today is Servant Palooza. You're going to go out. You're going to find different ministries in the church, outside the church, in the community. And we want to challenge you to see yourself 
as a person that God has gifted and that he has a purpose for your life to help and serve others. And today I want to apologize because we discovered over the past week and a half, we discovered that there were a few people who did not get contacted for ministries that they signed up last year when we did this. And I want to, as the executive pastor here at Eagle Sioux Church, I want to apologize and ask for your forgiveness. That is not the way that this was supposed to work. And we have rectified this. So here, I need you to understand what's going to happen today. If you sign up for a ministry, you're not signing up to do it. You're signing up for more information about it. Let me be very clear. But today, you're going to receive a text that says, we're going to be in touch with you early this week. Thank you for signing up. On Monday and Tuesday, you're going to get a phone call from the team that you signed up for. And they are going to ask you, What level of involvement and how much information would you like and how can we get with you on on Monday and Tuesday? If they don't get in touch with you or if you don't answer your phone, they're going to email you on Wednesday. And after Wednesday, on Thursday morning, I'm checking with our whole team individually and making sure, and I'm going to see all the lists and see what's there, and I'm ensuring that you've been contacted. Why? We've recognized a mistake we made. We're owning up to it. And I'm asking for your forgiveness. Will you forgive me? You're so much better than the first service. Thank you. (laughs) But we want to write this. We want to be servants to you. What are we about? The new kingdom structure is based on humility. The second thing it's based on, it's a new kingdom economy. It's a new kingdom economy. Luke 9, 48 says, Then he said to them, Anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes my Father who sent me. Whoever is least among you is the greatest. The economy of this world states that what is exchanged within a country for goods and services, the exchange is what the economy is about. We hear a lot about it. It's called supply and demand. But here's what I think supply and demand really is, especially you're seeing it in our country right now. Whoever has power and influence creates a demand, and the rest of us create the supply to meet their demand. Now, that's not the right definition of supply and demand economically, but we know that that's basically how it works. That is not how it should work in the kingdom of God. And what Jesus says is this. He pulls up a child, and he does not say the kingdom of heaven is like this child. He says that in other places, but that's not the point in this particular place. What he says is whoever welcomes this child is actually welcoming me. Why did he choose a child? You see, a child of the age of 12 or 13, 13 for boys, 12 for girls. It was called a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah. Bar and bat means son or daughter. Mitzvah means commandment. The son or daughter of the commandment. It was the age in which a child was seen as adult, as an adult because they were now a son or daughter of the Torah. And Jesus picked a child that was not 12 or 13, and he said this. You see, when a child becomes 12 or 13, they can now give you the commands. You can do something with them. They will do something for you. What Jesus is saying, this child underneath that age that I'm showing you today, If you welcome them, you will get nothing in return. They cannot return to you anything. 
We could, not, we could choose something different than a child, somebody in this community that's on the margins. And we love and we serve them. And what was Jesus saying? He's saying if you love and serve them, it's not as if. If you love and serve people who like you, who have something that they can give you in return, that is not the measure of success that Jesus is talking about serving. Jesus is saying, I'm talking about serving those who can give you nothing in return. That is the measure of success of this new kingdom. He put it even a different way, a little bit uh, earlier, Matthew 25, or actually a little bit later. It says, and the king of the new kingdom, that's Jesus, will say, I tell you the truth. You did it to one of the least of these of my brothers and sisters. You were doing it to me. The economy of the new kingdom is service. It is caring for one another, but it's really caring for those who cannot give us anything in return. And I want you to think about that. It's serving a child. We have a phenomenal ministry that's being highlighted today. They have asked us to partner with them in our local school district in EMSISD and specifically in Bryson Elementary. You want to know why they've asked us? Because they knew that there was a need and we've stepped up before and we've said we will step up again. It's called Academy 4. Academy 4 has this commitment that every child in the fourth grade at Bryson Elementary will receive a mentor. Why? There's phenomenal brain research that says if we reach a child when they're in the fourth grade, which is a key time in their life where their identity is being set, and we show them that they have a mentor that's different than mom or dad or brothers or sisters, there's someone else in this community who loves and cares about them. The product of that in their lives is immense. And we've partnered with Academy Ford to give 90 minutes a month to sit with a child on their campus. We've been invited by the public education system to come on their campus and mentor children. That is like the golf ball rolling within an inch of the cup, and we get to stand and tap it in. The community has come to us and asked us, to love the least of these. And it's right out on the porch. And I told Jamie when I saw this email, I wasn't supposed to be getting email, but I looked at this one while I was on sabbatical, and I said, Jamie, I want my name at the top of that list. So will you join me to give 90 minutes on a Friday once a month to love and care for children? That is the walking out of what Jesus is saying serving others. So what are we asking from you today? It's why we do a day like today. We serve others, and that's what Servapalooza is about. It may be a goofy name, but I love it because we want to do this. Your staff, and we are not, we don't lead uh, and tell people what to do. Here's what we do. We ask God what he wants us to do, and we lead out in doing it, and we ask for our congregation to follow. And here's what I'm asking you today. We've committed over the next seven years this particular statement. We desire, as the church, the body of Christ, at Eagles View Church, to redeem the reputation of the bride of Jesus in our world today. Why? Because the name of Jesus has been sullied by his people all over this nation. By his shepherds, his pastors. The two major reasons that churches 
implode from a pastoral understanding is either moral failure or secondly, dictatorial leadership that is not the method of Jesus. And we are committed here to repair the reputation of the bride of Christ. And I want to ask you, will you join us in that? Let me ask again. Will you join us in that? So let's love the least of these, the least of these. Let's serve alongside each other. Let's do more together than we could ever do separately. Amen? Ephesians 2.10, final passage I just want you to look at. I want you to take this with you today. For we are God's masterpiece. You are God's painting. You are. Draw a circle on the floor, step into the circle, and understand this is for you today. You are God's masterpiece. Some of you need to hear that right now because you don't feel like God's masterpiece today. But you are. You've been declared that in God's word in Ephesians 2. You're his painting. God took broad strokes to you and painted the outlines of what your life is to be. You're God's statue, and he has chiseled off out of the stone everything that doesn't look like Jesus Christ. And he has placed you up in a position on display. It may be in your neighborhood. It may be in your school. It may be among your friends. It may be at your workplace. God has put you as part of the bride of Christ, the church, on the pedestal. And why? Here's what he says. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. Why? So that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You understand, you are here today at this place, not by accident. I told our latest partners that joined with us last week, our goal is for you simply not to get the, to know the back of someone's head in worship. This is not the church in its best form. The church in its best form is you seeing yourself as God's masterpiece and using your gifts, abilities, networks, personality, position, in order to turn the world upside down. Would you join us in that as you go out today and see the ministries and the opportunities in our community and in our church to do that and to be more together than we could individually?